0: We've uh, we've been moving the last couple of weeks. Well, I mean, we moved, but um, as you see by the back of my notes, we're still moving. I couldn't find any copy paper. I had to find Christmas song sheets and go on the other side, but that works too. <clears throat> One of the things uh, that a preacher faces when he commits to preaching through a book of the Bible is the responsibility to preach what's there. <laughs> In other words, you know, if a preacher just skipped around the Bible from passage, from this passage to that passage, uh, he could preach for years and, and never get around to preaching on some subjects that are that are sort of uncomfortable or, or unpopular. But, for example, when a preacher is preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians <laughs> and he comes to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4... Uh, then he needs to preach 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And that's where I'm at this morning. And so the subject at hand this morning is on sexual purity. The title of the message I've given is A Passion for Purity. You can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. A Passion for Purity. And our text this morning is the first eight verses. Of chapter 4. I'll read this passage. Follow along. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And so this morning I would like to speak about this this subject that we often consider a private matter. And rightly so, I say. Rightly so. That is sexual purity. Yet it's an area of life that many people, and I say also many Christians, struggle with. And they struggle in this. And in many cases, the struggle goes on and on and on for a long time because they're uncomfortable to talk about it. Uh, because it's a private matter. And, and, and we feel like, well, no one will understand me. <laughs> Certainly no one has this problem that I do. But one thing I, I note that when a person fails in this area of life, it often becomes a public matter. No longer is it a private matter anymore. And I am convinced this morning that it would do us well to be more open about this subject. Within the realms of decency, of course. But openness with our husband or wife, openness with our dad or mom, openness with our close friend. And I believe this would be beneficial for various reasons. One is that openness is often the beginning uh, to finding deliverance and to finding restored peace in life. Having an honest and open discussion about sexual purity with someone that you trust can be a powerful key in experiencing victory in your life down the road. And it also establishes the opportunity for some ongoing uh, brotherhood accountability. You know, it's, it's that thing of, oh, you, you mean you struggle with that too? Really? And I thought I was the only one. I thought no one could understand me. It's, it's that whole mental process that, that I've struggled with over the years and, and perhaps you know what I'm talking about. And so this morning if you find yourself struggling with sexual purity uh, then perhaps this this message can can nudge you to the truth of God's word that, that can help you to find freedom and help you to find uh, restored power in life. And if you are finding victory in this, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Maybe you are just the person that needs to be the helper to someone else. You know, I believe that, that purity and power go hand in hand. There's a close connection there. A person who is living a life of purity, a person who is dealing with, uh, daily walking with God, uh, that is minding the promptings of the Spirit, uh, those people, they also have a spiritual power. God is at work there. They have a confidence in life. Uh, there's nothing to hide. They can look you with sincerity in the eye. There's a blessing that is being experienced there in, in their life. But a person who is choosing to feed the flesh is a defeated person. It's a person that, that just has that weight of guilt. And perhaps there are a few things uh, that take down a person as fast and as hard and render them as, as powerless and ineffective as sexual sin. it produces that like i said a heaviness in spirit the guilt of that there's little power there there's little confidence but yet power is god's promise to the believer and no doubt it's something that we all want jesus said there to the disciples before he ascended he said But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the same is true for us. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, there is a power there at work in our life that is available. It's the power of God that is imparted to us. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes that when we truly know God then we can also experience the exceeding greatness of his power. It's that power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's that resurrection power that we can experience. But I say it can be lost when we fail to mind the spirit. When we we decide instead to feed the flesh. In Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The contrasting picture there of living for self or living for the spirit. Death, life and peace. You know, it's been said that a tiny piece of dirt in the carburetor of an engine can keep even the most powerful truck from climbing that mountain road. Just that tiny piece of of dirt in the carburetor. It may appear to be rather small. Just a small impurity, not that much. But yet, it makes the difference in that truck climbing that mountain. Let's look this morning at what this passage has to say about why we should have a passion for purity. Why? And first of all, I note in verse one that it pleases God. Sexual purity pleases God. Paul wanted the believers to know that a life lived for God is a blessing, is something that pleases Him. He says that, you know, we've told you how you ought to live to please God. But now I want to urge you, he's saying, to grow in that, to abound more and more in that. And one of the ways you can do this, he's saying, is to live a life of purity, live a life of purity. So how do we please God? Well, we certainly cannot please God by living for the flesh, Romans 8, 8 says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Or they that are living of the flesh cannot please God. And in Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read that, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith, trust in God, is an important part of pleasing him. And I note then in verse 5 of Hebrews 11, it gives that example of Enoch, who it says that he never saw death. God took him. And this was the testimony that he pleased God. He was a man that pleased God so much so that God said, "Look, I just want to commune with you. I want you to come, come with me. We don't know all the details there, of course. We have to make some assumptions there. But his life was such that pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, when we, we please God, when we prove that we trust Him, or when we true, prove that we obey Him, well, I'm sorry, let me say that again. We please God when we prove that we believe Him by obeying Him. When we prove that we believe Him by obeying Him. You see, when we choose to say yes to the flesh, we are in essence saying no to God. Uh, We certainly can't say yes to both at the same time. Uh, They contradict one another. We are really saying, God, when we say yes to the flesh, we are really saying, God, you know what, I'd really just like to do it my way. I I think this would feel good. I think this would make me happy. I'm not sure that you really intended for me to live such a strict life. You see, when we say yes to the flesh, we're not really trusting God. We're not really believing his word. Instead, we're trusting ourselves. We'd rather do it our way. But God's word says that if you live after the flesh, you shall die. For to be carnally minded is death. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We please God when we have faith in His Word. And that's proved by obedience. 1 John 3.22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. There again, the Apostle John gives that close connection between obeying the Word of God and finding faith us to be pleasing in his sight there's that connection there and so I say that sexual purity pleases God I also note in verse 3 that it's God's will it's God's will note there it says for this is the will of God even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication or from sexual immorality Paul writes it's God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's will that you avoid sexual immorality. It's God's will that you learn how to control your own body. We see that in verse 4. Learn how to control your own body. That's God's will. And, And he doesn't say it's easy. He just says that's God's will for each one of you. And what better place to be in than in God's will? You know, When God's will is our will, then we will experience joy and peace in life. Are you willing this morning? Sure, it's something that we want to experience. We want to experience joy. We want to experience peace. We like that. That sounds good. But it takes a willingness on our part. It takes obedience to his word. What does it mean uh, to be sanctified? sanctified it has the idea of being made holy of being made free from sin and certainly this is not something that we can do in and of ourselves this is none other than the awesome work of Jesus Christ in our life because we are sinful we have a bent to do it our own way we have a bent to feed the flesh But God's will is that we are sanctified. And this can only happen when we have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. When He is working through us, when He is in us, when we are in Him, it's that working together relationship, that closeness with Jesus Christ. I love that verse in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 that says, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God... Is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's beautiful. Note note that close connection of us and Jesus Christ and God. Of Him, speaking of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us all these things. It's the beautiful plan of salvation, of redemption. Paul is saying there that Jesus Christ is sanctification, is our sanctification. Though no, it's not something that we can do in and of ourselves, but it's this whole picture of having Jesus Christ in us, a part of us. And so sanctification is happening in our life when we are allowing the beautiful character of Jesus Christ to be evident in our everyday life. In our everyday decisions. In the choices that we make. When we are allowing the character of Jesus to work through us. That is the work of sanctification. And, and yes, it's an ongoing process. It's not one of these deals where when you are saved. You are sanctified and you, it's game over. You're good to go. No, it's an ongoing work that works within us. And so we are sanctified as we go through the day and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Or say, no, flesh. No, I don't know you. (laughs) You are dead. I don't have anything to do with that. And yes, Lord. Making those decisions throughout the day is that ongoing work of sanctification. It's about living a life of daily submission to Jesus Christ. It's that thing of, of not my will, but your will be done in me. And so, yes, sexual purity is God's will for each one of us. I also note in verse 4 that it's the honorable thing to do. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Sexual purity is the honorable thing to do. Not only in God's eyes, but in man's eyes as well. And, and as dirty... And unfaithful as our society is, yet in general, men and women of integrity are still held in honor. People look up, uh, society looks up to people like that. Men and women of integrity. And so I say this morning, let us rise up and commit to being honorable men and women. Uh, Let us purpose in our hearts, as Daniel did many years ago, not to defile ourselves. And that goes for all of us. Sometimes we use that for the younger people. That goes for all of us. And here's one for you young people. I challenge you and I urge you to take the example of Moses in his younger years. The example of Moses... When he decided he was going to forsake those pleasures of sin for a season, and he's going to side with the people of God, that's where he decided to be. And yes, there was some pleasures in the other lifestyle, but he said, it's not worth it. And I'm going to side with the people of God. And I challenge and urge each one of you young people uh, to take that stand as well. Uh, Couples, let us be shining examples of faithfulness to our marriage partner, in our communities where we live. It is so rare. It is so rare. Uh, these days. You know we're, we're in a little new community. Where we moved to just across 360 here. Um, and, and once again. I, I see that from, from neighbor to neighbor. Uh, the second partner. The third partner. You name it. Unfaithfulness. To their commitments. Let us be shining examples. Of faithfulness to our marriage partner. Sexual purity, it's the honorable thing to do. And I ask you, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered one day? I note then in verse 7 that sexual purity is the Christian's calling. Verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. God has called us to live a life of holiness. Holiness. A life that is sold out to Him. It's a life that is separate, that is different from the norm in society, you could say. It's God's chosen people, like Moses did. It's siding with God's people, a holy people. In 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, we read, But as He which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, or, or we could say there, in every area of life, be holy. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You see, so that's the standard. That's the pattern. It's, it's God. God is the pattern for holiness. And so holiness then is that inner desire, it's that inner longing to be like God. To be like him. And our God is a God of, of complete and beautiful purity. The scripture says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's pure. That's holy. And so then holiness is, is an inner desire, is, an, is a longing to flee spiritual darkness, and to be a child of light, to walk as a child of light, as the scripture says. That's holiness. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians, actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As we think of our calling to live a life of holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And so you have all these contrasts. He's saying, these things don't mix. (laughs) It's either one or the other. You you can't mix the two. He said, what, what communion do you have? What relationship is there? Verse 16, For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You want to experience those promises? There in the latter part of chapter six, I do. God promises to receive us, to be our our father. He says, I'm going to be a father unto you. You're going to be my sons and daughters, a part of the family of God. Can you imagine? What a blessing! Something that we are, are not worthy of at all. But God says, Welcome to the family. However, you need to clean up. You need to get rid of the flesh. You need to perfect holiness. You need to follow after the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then, yes, welcome to the family. What a beautiful picture, and yet we so often fail. I confess that myself. Perhaps you, you can do the same. But yet we are human, and I'm thankful this morning for the love and mercy of God, uh, and, and that He, and that He, He forgives us in spite of our many failures. And you know how we are. We get tired of forgiving people sometimes. And God isn't that way. I also note that sexual purity indicates our love for God and others. It indicates our love for God and others. And you know, as I studied this passage back here in in 1 Thessalonians, that was kind of a new concept for me as I thought about sexual purity. I guess I always just thought about it was about me, <laughs> you know. It, this is just, you know, I need to do better at this, that type of thing. And, and certainly it relates to my relationship with God, I understand that. But, but the whole concept of how this, this is not just about me and God, this is about others too. The decisions, the decisions I make, the choices I make are about, they affect others as well. For example, men, how would you feel... If you found out that another man, or, or God forbid, a, a brother in the church, was having lustful thoughts about your wife or about your daughter, how would you feel about that? Well, I'll just tell you how you'd feel. You'd be very upset. <laughs> you would be angry. You would, you would feel like you have been taken advantage of. You would, you would be, what? How, how could he do this? Where's the love? Where's the respect? I've been wronged. That type of a, a feeling. And see, when we think about it in that way, all of a sudden we see it a little bit differently. (laughs) You know, it's something that our choices, they affect others. It's not just about us. And so sexual purity indicates our love and our respect for others. But it's so much more than that. It indicates our sincere love for God. It proves our sincere love for God. After all, He's made a way of escape for us. There we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And that's comforting too, brothers and sisters. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God has made a way of escape possible. And and, and I think it's the apostle Peter that also wrote, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The way is there. We don't have to give in. We don't have to. Yes, we face temptations, but God has made a way of escape. He's even given us his Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 8. I didn't read verse 6 another time when I when I mentioned here that it indicates sexual purity indicates our love for others. And I'm I'm going back to verse 6 for that. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. But then verse 8, I say that God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's made a way possible. For us to live in victory. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth. We are not left to fight these battles alone. He therefore that despiseth. despiseth not man. But God. Who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And so when we allow ourselves. Uh, to wander down that dark path of sexual immorality, not only are we taking advantage of one another, but we are, in a sense, slapping God in the face. We are showing great disrespect to our Heavenly Father who has made the way possible for us to find victory. And certainly, Jesus was our perfect example in these very things. Jesus faced temptations. Just as we do, and yet without sin. And we realize that we are not Jesus. But through the power of God, we can make the right choice as well. That's the why. Those are five points that talk about the why we should live lives of purity. Let's consider a bit the how of sexual purity How can we live a life of purity? Paul says that we should learn how to control our body in a way that is holy, in a way that is honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who know not God. In other words, when we allow sexual immorality in our lives, we are acting just like the heathen people who don't know God and don't even care. When we allow that work in our lives, we are no different than society. And therein, in verse 5, lies the answer to living a life of purity. And that is no God. No God. Now, that word no has the idea of experiencing, of tasting. A feeling. It's an intimate term. It's a close relationship term. We're not simply talking about a knowledge of God. We're not that, talking about that I know of God. No, we, you know, we hear of that today. Yeah, I know of. It's not that. We're talking about a heart experience that then fleshes itself out in the way I live my life. In the choices that I make. From day to day. It's that intimate term, knowing God. 1 Peter 2 verse 1 and 2, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And I note there that there are, there are three steps, well a couple steps there to growing. First is to get rid of and then secondly is to get the word. <laughs> and then the third you could kind of say is to get big. <laughs> and I don't mean that in slang, but I'm just saying it's that, it's that thing of growing, of growing up in Jesus Christ. But first of all, there has to be some casting off. There's some getting rid that is so important. And I believe that too many Christians try to grow up without completely getting rid of the flesh. And Jesus said, if your eye or if your hand or if your foot offends you, cut it off and cast it far from you. Now, we say, well, that's mighty extreme. But in other words, I, well, I'll just say, hey, look, it, if, it, if that is what you need to do to make sure you get to heaven, then you know what? This, it sounds extreme, but then that, that's worth it because in heaven you're going to get it back, okay? That's what my mom always used to say. <laughs> You'll get it back, <laughs> But, but let's just put it this way. In, in other words, whatever fleshly is getting between you and God, whatever fleshly thing is causing you to stumble, whatever fleshly thing is, is taking the time of your day that should be going for God and His work, that needs to go. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to cast it off. And, and that, that term, casting, has the idea of not just like that. It's like, get out of here, you know. It's, it's that casting. It's, we, you know When we cast a fishing line, you know, we cast that thing. It's not just right at our feet. I just wonder sometimes if, if, if too many Christians, if, we, if too many times we find ourselves struggling in Romans chapter 7 because we're not casting off the flesh like we ought to. We'd like to be in Romans chapter 8, where it says, There is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, all that. go, you know. We'd like to be there, but we can't seem to get out of, of chapter 7, where, where we had that struggle with, with the flesh. You know, I want to do this, but the more I want to do this, the more I do that, and, and I, the things that I, that I hate I find myself doing, and oh, I'm just a wretched man, and, and who's going to deliver me from this mess, and Yeah, we have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. But I find it perhaps that too many times we're struggling in that state of life because we haven't completely died to self. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul said, I really want to know Jesus Christ. In other words, I want to experience Him. I want to feel Him. I want to taste that work in my life. I want it to be a daily part of me. I want to to have that inseparable connection with Jesus Christ. But he said, a part of that is death. A part of that is death. And perhaps we struggle sometimes finding that resurrection power in our life because we haven't completely died And in order for someone to be raised to life, they have to die. You know, Jesus died too. He didn't just faint. He didn't just take a nap. He wasn't just knocked out. He died. And through that death, then he rose to life again. And that is the promise spiritually for each one of us, that as we die to self, we can be raised again to new life in Jesus Christ. And that's that power then that works within us. To you be able to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit? And so I say the answer to sexual immorality is to know God. How many people, in situations where you heard of someone that failed in sexual purity, how often was it that, that they were, that they were uh, having a vibrant walk with God and they were spending daily time in prayer and they were fasting? And No, it doesn't go like that. The people who fell into sexual sin, this is what they'll usually say. You know, I have not been keeping up with the Lord. I know I haven't been. I I haven't been taking time to read the Word like I should. I've been stressed out. I've been taking... My time has been elsewhere. That's what happens every time. You can mark it down. And so, the answer to sexual immorality... Is daily knowing God. Staying current with him. Spending time in his word. Having that vibrant relationship. That connection to the power of God. That helps us then. To not be powerless in the moment of decision. Let's just know yet three that's. From this passage that we must observe. Verse 3. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. You see, sexual purity involves a conscious daily decision. It's not going to happen on its own. You see, when we fail to make that, that conscious decision, when we fail to be intentional, then, then, then our default setting, as it were, kicks in. That, that's the old man, you know. He kicks in and, and makes that decision for us. And it, it, it's, not, it's never good that way. But Paul said that I die daily, and we need to do the same if we expect to live with Christ, if we expect to have that life within us. And so a man or a woman uh, who has a passion for purity and who values their peace with God will then be willing to abstain from, from all those fleshly things that war against the soul. I think it's Peter that writes that. Abstain from fleshly things that war against your soul, that are, that are vying for your allegiance. And I, and I think Satan would like me to run out of time here so I don't say a couple of things, but I'm, I'm not going to give him time of day. Um, so I'm, I, I just feel like I need to say this, dear people, uh, in relation to our electronic devices. And the Sunday school lesson this morning said that, that we should not condemn. <laughs> and I'm not condemning you, okay? I'm not condemning you when I speak about this. But, but please hear me out. I just simply want to give a fair warning. And, and I'll, I'll, let me just say something about smartphones. And, and we have a smartphone in our house as well, okay? But smartphones and, and other similar electronic devices, uh, they're wonderful tools. And they, are, they have many neat and, and great options and apps. They are wonderful. And they are very convenient. Very convenient. But the truth is, convenience does not always equate blessing. It doesn't. And there, there has been many uh, a good man and a good woman who have fallen uh, because of improper use of a smartphone or, or iPad, tablet, whatever, whatever. through the, through the use of, of the World Wide Web. There's been many people who have fallen uh, because it's been so convenient. You know, it's been so convenient. Uh, now tell me how wonderful is it? <laughs> uh, smartphone, what a stupid name, smartphone. Um, but, but, you know, how, how wonderful is it? Is it, is it worth that? You know, so, so the people that have, have, have struggled with that and have dealt with that, that how wonderful is it then? Yeah, it might be convenient. It might have a lot of good things to say. It might help you out very much. But is it worth your soul? Is it worth your soul? Is it worth that struggle? Uh, the, the scripture says that we are abstained from things that vie for our allegiance with Jesus Christ. And and so maybe it's not your smartphone. Maybe it's something else. And that's why, for different people, it's different things. I'm just saying, if it's robbing you of your peace with God, if it's getting between you and God, it's got to go. It's got to go. It's not worth it. It's simply not worth it. And I'll just, I'll be very open with you and say that I had to make that decision a number of months ago. And I fought that for a while. I'm, I'm saying I fought that decision because I, I fought that, that same mental process of, well, well, what will people think? Well, I'm such a doofus, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, and just that whole ball of wax. And you can probably go through that in your mind as well, you know. And I finally came down to the point where I said, you know what, it is not worth my soul. It is not worth my ministry. It is not worth my rep. It's not worth it to continue uh, to, to think that I, that I can, you know, it's not a big deal. How many times would we have to mess up with our phone or with the Internet in order to say it's not worth it? How many times? One, two, five, six, seven. I, I decided that it was enough times for me. So just an encouragement. If there's something in your life uh, that is between you and God, uh, I urge you uh, to have the courage to, to take it out. Okay, that's one of the that's. Here's another that that we need to observe, and that is in verse 4. That you should know how to possess your vessel, or learn how to control your body. That we learn how to control our body. Once again, sexual purity doesn't just happen, but it has to be learned. You see, it's, it's, not our, uh, it's, it's the old man that, that wants to be immoral. Sexual purity has to be learned. And it's something that has to be fought for. It's something that we need to to seek after. And so it's a battle that is worth fighting. For us men and for you women, it's worth fighting. It's worth our every effort. I just want to note one verse here in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 9. The last couple verses there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And here Paul is talking about how, in order to win that prize, we need to run the race in such a way. Not everyone's going to win the prize. You can't just aimlessly run the race of life and think you're going to win the prize. You can't just go with the flow. He makes it clear here. Verse 25, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. Or in other words, run in such a way that you win that prize. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. If I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. And that's partly what brought me to the decision where I said, you know what, it's not worth it for me. We all have to make our own decisions in life, I realize. I therefore so run, not uncertainly. So I fight, not as one that beateth the air. In other words, there is a focus, there is a discipline. There is effort taken to run straight, the race of life. And then lastly here, verse 6, that you defraud not. Or in other words, in this matter of sexual purity, no one should wrong his brother or sister. No one should take advantage of them in this type of thing, in this matter. And so when we indulge in sexual immorality, whether it's through our eyes through our actions, through our thoughts, and I know they're all connected. But when we indulge in that, we are defrauding our brother. We are taking advantage of another person. We are taking advantage of someone in order to fulfill our own fleshly desires. We're trying to take possession of something that's not ours to have, really. And Paul makes it clear here that... God doesn't look at that as just a mistake. Whoops, he messed up again. No. God looks at that as serious sin. He said, Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. God looks at it seriously. Turn over to chapter 5 for a couple closing verses. <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 21. Prove all things, or in other words, test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace <clears throat> sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. And then I close with this verse. Brethren, pray for us. It's not a verse that we quote very often, but it certainly fits, I believe, in this area as well as others. Brethren, pray for us. Uh, as brothers and sisters, let's commit to praying for one another in the area of sexual purity. Uh, it's an area, sexual immorality is, is rampant, as you well know, in, this, in the society that we live in. And Satan would like nothing more than for it to weave its way into our congregation here. But with the power of God, we can find victory. We can fight those wiles of the devil. Let us pray for each other in this area. May the Lord bless you. We'll call for a song.